Good morning. All right. Um, well, last week we started a sermon series on prayer. And we're going through this 30-day prayer challenge as a church where we're learning how to pray both by hearing about it and by doing it. And so um, if, you, if you weren't here last week, I'd like to invite you all to just jump in where you're at right now and uh, join in this, this time of prayer as a community where we are learning to pray. And uh, we're using the Lord's Prayer as kind of a framework through this. And so I want to start by saying it together. So if we can have that slide up with the Lord's Prayer, um, and we're going we're gonna to go through this, just recite it together, and then we'll, we'll continue to do this every week. Let's do it. Already? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Now let's just, let's be honest for a minute as a church, okay, about prayer. Okay, just can we be honest about prayer? Let's, let's, let's get honest. How, how does the word prayer sit with you? How does it land on your soul? When you heard me say we're going through a series on prayer, I'm guessing that some of you were like, yes, excitement welled up, and you're like, yeah, I, I'm excited to learn how to pray better. And for those of you who that happened, praise God, I think you're going to learn more reasons to be excited today. But I'm guessing some of you, when you heard, oh, prayer, yay, prayer, uh, that's, that's great, uh, my favorite. I'm guessing some of you had a response that was more of a sinking feeling, like maybe some combination of guilt because you know you don't pray enough as you should, and maybe some some weariness, like, I, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried so hard, and it's still so hard for me to pray. Maybe some, maybe some shame mixed in there, like, I, I know I should be better at this, and I'm not. And if you had a response something like that, who, how many, no, no, don't, don't raise your hand, don't let on that that was your response, okay? Don't let the person next to you know that you find prayer difficult and boring and hard. I mean, let's keep that under wraps, okay? Just raise your hand quietly in your heart, like, yeah, that's me. And if that's you, first of all, no, you're, you're not alone. And if that's you, I am so excited that you're here because I think we're going to get some, some movement in today's sermon. I'm hopeful that, that we will clear up some of that stuff and you will come out of today saying, you know what? I think I can do this. I think, 
I think I can figure out this whole prayer thing. Maybe not figure it out, but I can, I can, I can pray and actually get through. And so we're going we're gonna to look at the first and most important step to prayer. This is the step that determines whether or not prayer works for you or not. It's the step that says whether or not you get through or you don't. This is the step, the first and most important step, that is the difference between those who seem to get prayer and those who just don't seem to get it. And so we're going to look at this first and most important step. You ready? Here's the first step. Remember who you're talking to and where he is. That's it. Get clear on who it is you're addressing and where he happens to be. Get the person right, get the place right, and prayer will, will naturally flow from that, that proper address. Now, Jesus gives us the first step in the first line of the Lord's Prayer, where he says, Our Father in heaven. Or I prefer the, the old-timey English version, Our Father which art in heaven. You know, I, I, way back when my oldest son was like four years old, I was teaching him about prayer. And I was like, what, the, our Father which art in heaven, do you know what that, that means? He's like, isn't that when God paints the sky? That's that ain't wrong, you know. Uh, but uh, so our Father in heaven is known as the address of the prayer. And this address ensures that we get connected to the right person in the right place. You know, it, it works with email. You can write the most eloquent email with all of the most beautiful words. And if you get one letter wrong in the email address, it ain't going through. Or it ain't going through the right person at least. Or maybe you had this happen on text. Anyone ever texted the wrong person by accident? Like you're ticked off at your boyfriend and you're like texting your, your friend. and like, oh, can you believe what he said? And, and, and then you like realize that you just texted who? Your boyfriend. And then you send off that repair text like, ha ha, just kidding, LOL. Smiley face. The address is the most important part of your text or your email. It's more important who you're talking to than what you're saying. And so we're going to dive into this address, who it is and where he is. And uh, if our, the reason we need to do this is not because God is playing some weird game. He's not going to hear your prayer if you, if you address him wrong or anything. The reason is for us, because if our hearts are not clear on who it is we're talking to, what he's like, then we are not going to be able to pray properly. It's, it's, a, it, it's our soul issue. 
And that's why one of the, the main things that, that throughout church history at various times, the first thing they would teach Christians was the attributes of God. The attributes of God is a big word that basically means accurate descriptions of who God is. And thankfully, you have on your chair a paper that's called The Character of God, which lists a bunch of the different accurate descriptions of God. Um, You'll see words like immortal, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. These are really big words to describe a really big God. Uh, Most of them are variations on the idea of infinite. Like God, whatever he is, he is infinitely, without limit. And this is important because when we're talking to other people, people are finite, limited. And most of our conversations with normal people are managing their, inf- their finiteness, their limits. We talk to them to inform them of things we want them to know because they don't know a whole lot. We might even talk to them in order to, to cover up what we don't want them to know. Or maybe when we're talking to people, we're talking to them to try to get them to like us. And all of these managing of people's limitations and imperfections, all of that goes out the door when we realize who it is we are talking to. An infinite God who loves us infinitely, who is infinitely powerful, who's infinite in knowledge, who knows everything, past, present, future. Who knows things, I mean, any question you might ask, he knows the answer. And when we're talking to an infinite God, knowing who he is, what kind of being he is, will make all the difference in how we pray. And that's why, you know, this, this paper that you have in front of you, when you go to pray this, this month as you're trying to do this 30 days of purpose, 30 days of prayer, um, you, can, you could start by just starting with some of these attributes and just say, immortal God, infinite God, eternal God, and, and give yourself time to dwell on what that means. And if you don't know what it means, look it up in the dictionary and recognize that's what God is like. And as you begin to recognize who it is you're talking to, who who this person is that you are conversing with, prayer takes on a whole different kind of a texture because we're talking to the infinite, immortal, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent God who created us. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uses an image that ties together a bunch of these attributes by calling him 
our Father. And so our Father is the best foundational image to take into prayer and to to recognize this is who we're talking to. Now, let me acknowledge, some of us, Father is not a happy word for us. For some of us, we had distant fathers. For some of us, we might have had disappointed fathers. For some of us, our fathers were just absent. They were out of the picture. For some of us, our fathers may have been abusive, may have been hurtful to us. And I, I, I want to just stop here for a second and say, part of the reason why I think that hurts so much is because somewhere in the back of our mind, we know what a good father is supposed to be. We know implanted in us somewhere, there's, a, there's an image of what a good father looks like. And, and I, you know, as a, as a father myself who's far from perfect, and for some of you who are parents, you have maybe even a little more of a hint of what this can be because <clears throat> you realize that a good father loves their child just because there's there's this this immediate like I, whatever they're doing or not doing whatever their performances or or however they they do well or do poorly there's just this love for them because they're your child and a good father loves us just because. Um, you know, one of the things I, I just, I love, I know this sounds kind of weird, but I love watching my, my kids sleep. Like seeing their face of a child, your child, at peace, at rest. They're not doing anything. They're not trying to make anything happen. They're just there at rest. And it is such an amazing experience of love. Like, I just, I see their little face at peace. I see them just breathing in and breathing out. And I'm just like, oh, I love that little kid. It's amazing. Um, a good father loves us just because. Uh, you know, one of the things that a good father, and I think we all recognize this somewhere inside, a good father is not put off by your imperfections. A good father recognizes their kids aren't going to be perfect, and they love them anyways. He's not put off by your imperfections. He's not, he's not surprised by your imperfections. And some of you have this critical voice going on in the back of your head. No matter what you do, that voice in your head criticizes and says, you didn't do that right. You should have done this better. You know, why didn't you do this? 
gosh, why didn't I say that instead of that? You have this voice in the back of your head that's critical, that's condemning, that's putting you down, that's shaming you. And that voice, let me just say it, is the opposite of what your good father wants to say to you. You know, all of my kids have been artists. I, I, I've had many versions of, you know, the, the, the picture that they draw for you. The, 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 uh, <laughs> this is my youngest son, and all my kids did this at some point, you know. It was, they, they, they would draw these pictures, and when I get this picture, do you think I sit here and say, well, you know, why did they use so much green? Well, I mean, look at these lines. Where did you learn to draw lines? Like, I mean, when, what is this? It's so out of, I mean, where's the texturing? What, why couldn't you have done better? Do you think that's how a father feels when they get a picture like this? No. It's like, this is, he made this for me. And it's beautiful. Look, look what my Look what my son did. Look what he drew for me. It, it's, it just it came from his heart, and he put his heart into it, and it just it makes me so happy to get my son's expression of love on a page. I, who cares about the imperfections of it? And when you offer yourself to God... Maybe you've tried to start a ministry or tried to do, you know, a a group and and everything fell apart and things didn't work out and people didn't show up. And and every time you think about that experience, you just think, what, why did I, I, why, I just, I failed. I feel like a failure as I think back on the things that I tried to do for God, and it didn't work out. And God is thinking about that same thing. Look what my boy did for me. Look what my daughter did to try to honor me and show her love for me. And and he's got it up on the fridge saying, look how beautiful. Your good father is not surprised by your imperfections. He's not condemning of the things you didn't do right. He looks at you and just thinks, yes, that's my boy. That's my girl. That's a good father. And when you come to prayer... Remember who it is that you are talking to. That good, loving father who wants to hear from you, who is on your side before you ever open your mouth, who is loving you and accepting you and approving of you. And that's who you're coming to. And when you come in prayer to that person, the world opens up. 
But we don't just remember who it is we're talking to. We remember where he is. It says, our Father, which art in heaven. In heaven. And that is probably the most misunderstood phrase of the prayer. Because of the way words and ideas change over time, the idea, when people nowadays in our culture think of the word heaven, they often get these weird images of these chubby cherubs, little chunky children with chicken wings on, uh, floating around in clouds with a little harp. And, and we know, it's, it's, like a, it's like a fantasy world, because we know the clouds up there, there's not these little, you know, aerodynamic toddlers flitting about them. We, we know that that's not the world we live in, and so heaven must be this strange pseudo-reality somewhere out beyond a star or something. Like, and that's the exact opposite of what Jesus' original hearers would have thought when they heard our Father in heaven. When they thought of in heaven, the Greek word is to uranos, it's plural, the heavens. What they thought when they heard that word was everything that we see as we look around and above us from the air surrounding our bodies up into the furthest reaches of the heavens, we are we are surrounded, soaked, and saturated in the presence of God everywhere we go. That's our Father in the heavens. They would have thought something more like our Father who surrounds us, who fills the universe. This is our Father. And so when we think of the heavens, when we say our Father in heaven, we think of we need, to, we need to get back to what Jesus was actually talking about, was our Father is always near us. He's always embracing us. He, he fills this, this room that we, we are in. God's presence is filling all of this empty space up here. And if you look outside, His presence is filling all of those all of that open space, that's God's presence. He's here. When you woke up this morning, He was there. When you drove to church, He was there with you in the air around your bodies. He was there listening. If you dared to open your mouth or, or express something in prayer as you were driving, He was there listening. Our Father in the heavens. So we remember who it is we're talking to and where he is. And as we recognize this glorious, infinite being who loves us, who's looking upon us, 
with eyes of love and acceptance. And he's here with us. We just can't see him because he happens to be invisible. But you can make that realization more tangible by just taking some time to just imagine, use your imagination, not to escape from reality, but to better grasp reality. And let's all, I, I want to just try some. Let's, let's close our eyes and use our imagination to recognize God's reality. Close your eyes and imagine the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ looking at you with eyes that are sparkling with joy and love. Look into the face of your Father who is more attentive and more caring and affectionate than any earthly parent ever was. And he's looking at you right now saying, I am so glad that you are mine. I want so much to give you life, full life to the overflowing. And I know everything you've done, and I still absolutely love you. I love you right now where you're at. Can you imagine that? And as you open your eyes and come back to this reality, and you might be tempted to think, oh, that's just, that's, that's a fantasy, right? Like, that's, that's me imagining something. Is it? Or are you imagining what is more real than anything else that you run into in your daily life? Our Father, filling the heavens. And as we come to that first step, if you do that, if you recognize there is this God who is already there, your prayers will take on this whole different flavor. Now, I'll be honest. A lot of times I go to pray and I can't even get past the first line because I just get lost in this immense, infinite God. So there's a lot of times I'll go in, our Father who fills the heavens, and I just... I. I find myself just getting flooded with his presence when I recognize it. And that's, that is prayer. Like whether or not you get to the rest of the Lord's prayer, like if you get into God's presence and recognize who he is and where he is, prayer has happened. This naturally leads into step two. Once we've remembered who we're talking to, 
and where he is, once we recognize that we are in this God-bathed universe with a loving and powerful and good God, the most natural, reasonable response to that recognition is worship. When we realize that this is the world we live in and this is the God that we are standing in his presence, worship is the most reasonable, logical response to that situation. Now, our society tells us what is an appropriate response to to the things around us. That's, That's what a culture is supposed to do. It's supposed to tell you how to respond to a given stimuli. And once you've absorbed that enough so that you start responding the way everyone else is responding, you have been enculturated. And so our culture tells us how to respond to things. And honestly, right now, our culture's main response to most things is, meh. And it's telling you all that's how to respond to most of the things going on in your life. Meh, whatever. It does give us a couple of places where it's appropriate culturally to respond with a little more emotion. And that's usually at sporting events and at big concerts or, or raves or something like that. Those are places where you can actually become emotional. And so you go to a Rams game and you have, you know, a button-down accountant like, yeah! And that's culturally appropriate to lose your stuff because you saw someone make a touchdown. That's culturally accepted. It's part of the cultural script. So when you come into this church and you see people kind of getting emotional and worshiping with their hands raised and, and swaying and maybe even dancing and It's uncomfortable for us because they're not following the cultural script. The cultural script says when it comes to religion, you're supposed to kind of, you're supposed to keep that stuff kind of private, subtle. You can draw some some amount of strength and encouragement from religion, but... Just keep it very, mm, yeah. mm. And if you do anything beyond that, you're starting to get kind of extreme. So settle down. That's what our cultural script says about religion. Now let me tell you something. Our cultural script is wrong. It's wrong. Because if this enormous God exists who dwarfs the cosmos and he is at work 
in our lives and our world, it's worth getting a little bit excited about that. Enthusiasm is not an inappropriate response. Like, let's get, let's get logical about this, okay? If you can get excited about the Rams getting a victory over the 49ers, and you can cheer and jump up and down and, like, high-five and say, yes, that's, woo! then wouldn't it make sense that when the Savior of the world gains victory over death and shame and fear and sickness and all of these things that hold us bound, don't you think it's at least appropriate to react emotionally to something like that? I mean... You, we get excited about someone taking a little oblong leather ball over a white line on an astroturf field and we erupt in praise. Wouldn't it make sense that if the creator of the world spoke the world into existence, shows up in fire and parts the seas and brings the... the the, 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 the hail and, and the, the darkness upon the earth and, and, and he, he shuts the mouths of lions, he, he quakes the earth. I mean, if the, the, the God of the universe shows up and is doing things among us that will change our lives and set us on a trajectory into eternity that is life instead of death. Like, isn't that more exciting than a guy going across the finish line with a little ball? We've got to get rid of the cultural script because it's wrong. If what the Bible says is true then the most significant thing that's happening in our world is not the latest football scores, it's not the economy, it's what God, the Creator, is doing in our lives each day. And it's worth getting excited about. That's why the Bible tells us, especially in the Old Testament, over and over again, praise the Lord. It tells us to do that because that's what our souls need to do in order to not have a distorted view of reality that our culture is trying to shove us into. In order to get our eyes to see reality as it truly is, we need to worship. We need to express regularly the greatness of God with not only our mouths, but with song, with, with our bodies, all of these ways. We need to do that in order to properly align with the reality we actually live in. You know, on your seat also you have a on the back it, it has the, the seven Hebrew words for worship or praise and I'm not going to go through this um, in detail 
But one of the things that we recognize here is the Hebrew words for praise are a lot more over the top than what we normally think of as praise. Like, just let me, let me I won't go into the Hebrew, but let's go through in, in English a little bit. One of the things the Bible commands when it says to praise is to sing. Bible tells us to sing. And if you're not a very musical person, and when you try to sing, it sounds like a deranged water buffalo, that's okay, because it also tells us make a joyful noise. So, you know, singing is one of the ways we praise God. Another word is shouting, cheering. That's appropriate in church. Like cheering, praising with a loud voice and shout. Raising of hands is another way that it describes it. Kneeling on the ground in honor and reverence of the great God who is before us. I'm going to just bring up one of these Hebrew words I want to point out is halal. Halal is the word that is kind of the, the, the main word for praise. When you say hallelujah, you're literally saying in Hebrew, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, which is you praise Yah, Yahweh, God. Halal, let me just say, It's a lot more of an emotional, gushy word than we're used to when we say praise. It's a word that displays exuberance. It it portrays this this kind of getting out of hand. In the the Hithpael construction of this Hebrew word, it literally means to go crazy. to, To make a fool of yourself. Make a fool of yourself before God. Get nuts about God. Because this is the Father who is around us, who is always with us, who has gotten nuts about you and given his life for you, who carried the the cross up the hill of Calvary for you, who died on the cross for you and then came out and rolled the stone away for you. It's worth getting nuts about this God. So I want to invite you into this countercultural act of worship. Can we have the worship team come forward? I want to invite you to step out of the world's parade of saying that God is a minor part of your life or something that's not worth getting worked up about. I want to invite you to give God the honor he is due by making that statement with your mind, with your words, with your body, hallowed be thy name. I want to invite you to worship. And I'm going to call Mark forward to give us some further instructions.
Let's worship the God who fills the universe, who is our Father, and for whom the only reasonable response is worship.